No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, um, I mean, we were saying the other day that we need to be getting, I said the other day last week, we need to be getting sort of six points from these games ideally and it's just a pathetic return really, isn't it? I don't know you think, Dan. Well, I, I said these three home games were we have to get six or seven points after the weekend. Uh, we can still get six points from them. But on last night's evidence, that is looking a tad unlikely. Well, when you consider who we're playing at the weekend, I think you'd you, you probably strongly argue that, wouldn't you? I think yeah. it, it's going to be a, a tough ask to, to come out of it with six or seven points. So, OK, before we get into the whole inquest into the uh, last two games, uh, let's just do a couple of little bits of news. Um, first up, the reserves. Well, the first team aren't doing very well, but the reserves side aren't doing too bad, are they? Um they got through to the national final, the Central League Cup today. They uh, they saw off Championship side Huddersfield Towns uh, second string three two to reach the national final, where they'll face uh, Bournemouth uh, location and date to be confirmed. But uh, good result for them, yeah. Chedwin Scott got a brace and Taylor Charters opened the scoring in that game. Um, interestingly, that former Loney Mika Obiero uh, scored one of the Terriers goals, didn't he? Uh, Dan, good result that for them. Yeah, uh, and it was when you look at the team Carlisle put out, uh, welcome return for Danny Devine, getting some minutes on the grass. Uh, Magnus Norman played the first half, um, but apart from Scott and Walker and sort of Charters and Dixon, it was mainly uh, young young first-year pros and youth team players, which uh, I think I think Huddersfield were fairly similar. Yeah, but, they, uh, they've got quite a strong academy usually. Huddersfield, yeah, they, yeah, so. yeah. Decent result, that. Um, other bit of news is, uh, obviously, we mentioned last week that Dean Furman was called up to the South Africa squad once again. But um, it, it turns out he's turned down the chance to go, hasn't he, Mike? He's, he's decided to stay with United. And it seems to be linked to this whole red zone limitations on what you have to quarantine when you come back, doesn't it? By the looks of things. Yeah, it's a bit weird, though, isn't it? Because he hasn't even been on our bench the past few games. And then, obviously, he started against... Um... Oh, Leighton Orient last night. I, I blanked it from my memory because it's <laughs> suppressing it. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it sort of seems to indicate that he's maybe going to feature a, a bit more in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. I think he played pretty well. I thought against Leighton Orient compared against the rest I, of the squad. I was just going to say he was probably the one, the one bright point of last night, which obviously we'll cover yeah. in more shortly. Yeah, indeed. As well as the uh, Dean Furman news, uh, Chris Beach has touched on the fact that it sounds like Josh Coyote is going to join up with the Ireland under twenty one squad who faced Wales this week, but. He's not really convinced that he's fit, and it's just them that looking to assess his injury levels. I think, Dan. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a bit of a contentious contentious issue when a club and country sort of, shall we say, disagree regarding injuries. Uh, Ireland are fully entitled to have a look at themselves. I know they've only got one game, and it is a friendly, so it could be that he doesn't feature. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the bench at most. Obviously, the lad will be keen to play. You know, he scored last time out. But uh, we'll see what comes of that. I think it probably helps as well that the game's against Wales, isn't it? So it's it, it's not as much of an issue in that sense. So it makes it a little bit easier for us. Um, right, well, let's get on to it then. Let's put it off for a, a few minutes there. But it's time to talk about the, uh, the last two games. Do we um, have to? I wish we didn't. <laughs> I genuinely really wish we didn't. It's the 3-1 defeat against uh, Stevenage and the 1-0 defeat against Leighton Orient. Um, right, let, let, right let, let's cover the games as quick as possible and get on to our discussion because we're only going to depress ourselves talking about these games, aren't we? Yeah, mm. I mean, just things have went from bad to worse in terms of the season, haven't they? I mean, it's one win in 12 games now and I think any slim hopes of promotional playoffs have pretty much vanished now it's going to take a, a bit of a miracle it's not just the fact that we've got to get points but we need quite a few teams above us to drop points and all like a good five or six to drop points as well that's where the problem lies now mm. and as it stands we're, we've got a bit of a battle to finish in the top half haven't we Mike yeah we really do and you know I've said for a few weeks now I don't think Beach will be under pressure if we finish mid-table but we're starting to slip into what you'd called bottom half now so yeah but I mean the the two games it's weird the Bradford game we seem to just be getting things right again and things started to to click and then we're just back to what we were directly before the Bradford game you know again yeah I mean uh, Dan I don't know what you think let's start briefly with the Stevenage game I mean it's one of those ones isn't it we started with a quite a lively open. We could have scored in the opening 20 seconds. And then I think Stevenage probably were starting to get on top. They had two decent chances. And then Rod McDonald has just have a bit of a brain fart, doesn't he? And he just doesn't need to do that. It's one of those ones where he's got to make a split-second decision, hasn't he? And he's made the wrong one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually... Uh, I'd had my card in the garage, so I was driving back from the garage and I'd put the game on. And... Uh, he uh, when he got sent off, that that was the turning point. Uh, we then a couple of minutes later we took uh, Gimme Toure off, who wasn't best pleased. I think would be a polite way, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that just changed the entire complexion of the game. And I know I know we got it back level with a bit of a a goal, but were we really in it after the red card? Not for me. But that was the only shot on target, the goal that we yeah. had. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those ones, isn't it? It's Yeah, you can basically pick out the fact that McDonald's probably cost us any chance of winning that game with his decision in terms of pulling the player back. But 
I'd also point out there was a gaping hole in the midfield when the ball was played through. They they cut through as in three passes or two passes, wasn't it? One pass from the defence through to the midfield. No one was picking up their midfielder. He plays the ball through for the winger to chase and they're through on goal. Teams are suddenly doing to us what we were doing to them mm. when we hit our good patch. Yeah, they hit and, us uh, quickly la- on the well, break. La- last night, when the goal for Orient backs that up. Yeah, absolutely. It, that, that was the epitome of Route 1. Yeah, it, it's just just not good enough, really, was it, in no, that sense? No, it, no. Um, in terms of taking Tory off, Mike, would you say this was the wrong call? I think most people seem to agree on that now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was looking pretty fresh because he'd been out a couple of games earlier. He was actually looking a lot fresher than some of his teammates who I think were a bit tired. But generally speaking, when you're a man down, it only really affects you going forwards, you know, because a lot of teams will sort of go to a... They'll still have four at the back once you've had a man sent off, but you just kind of go without a striker. And Torre's one of them that can just take two, two or three defenders out of the equation. Um, and yeah, you know, you could see that he was unhappy to to come off. But you know, speaking of of freshness, we kind of went the other way against uh, Leighton Orient, and we played a few players who haven't been getting game time. But like, they haven't been getting any game time, so they're they're really lacking in match fitness. You know, and if if we'd have just sort of been rotating fairly over the past few weeks, that wouldn't be an issue. But it's it's kind of Either players are playing too much football and they're knackered, or they haven't played enough football and not match fit. That's kind of what we have to choose from at the minute. And that bring that brings me on to what I was going to mention regarding rotation is, and a lot of people mentioned this last night because there's an amazing, amazing excuse for it. But uh, the use of substitutions, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, you know, we, we we weren't the quicker. We obviously had to make one when McDonald went off on Saturday. But the other subs weren't forthcoming when, you know, you sort of you fall, you know, taking two day off was that was the out ball gone, you know, when yeah. when you're under under the cosh, you know, you need an out ball. Zanzala isn't an out ball, you know, he's he's a he's a finisher, mm. you know. If you took one of the midfielders off, at least you could have aimed for two day to bring Zanzala in, yeah. and then last last night just, I think. Uh, I think I posted on the forum on 75 minutes. Uh, the camera panned across to our bench. All seven subs were sat down. That's astonishing, and I, isn't it? And I'm like, well, surely you should be warming up in case because you don't want to come on cold, cold. Yes, they've been up and down a couple of times, but to not have any subs warming up 75 minutes into a game... It was, it, it was frankly incredible for me. You know, it's it's you know it's bizarre, and I'll let I'll let Lee de- deliver the excuse that was heard post match. <laughs> well, we'll discuss that in just a minute because we'll get onto the Orange game shortly. But my thoughts on the Tory thing is, I, I completely agree. With you. It, it didn't give us an out ball, and it, it to me it, it's it smacked of Beach saying, "All right, let's settle for a point now," and and not being funny, but Stevenage have scored barely any goals all season. And yet we basically invited them to have a go at us. I think mm. they scored like something like ten percent of their goals this season have come in that game against us. That that that, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? Mm. It, it? It was. It just felt. I felt like if he'd met, look if McDonald got sent off on like say sixty five or seventy minutes and he took Tory off at that point, it was nil nil. 
I would have said, fair enough. Yeah, you could understand that. Hold it tight and let's get... To go 70 minutes, having to sit back and soak up pressure and do a lot of chasing, it it was never going to work. And and let's be honest, we got luck. It was a complete fluke that we got a goal and got back into the game. I have to say, though, while it was, Zanzala did excellent play in the build-up to it. He does so much donkey work. Fair play to that. Mm. The last couple of games, he's done so much work for so little reward. And, And... He's got every right to be kept in that team on a decent run now because he, he he's, he's earned his place in the team mm. with the work he's put in. For me, I, I think he, he he messed up there, I think, Beach. I think he could have easily, he was very quick to make that change and get Hayden in there. What he could have easily done is put Mellish in at centre-back for a bit. Didn't have to make the sub quickly, did he? He could. I mean, Mellish came to us as just been voted the best young player in the conference playing centre-back for Gateshead. He didn't actually play that much centre-back for us last season. He played a left-back a lot, actually, filling in for Jack mm. Idale. Why couldn't he have just sorted him in there for five or ten minutes while we sorted things out? Because he's obsessed with playing him as an attacking midfielder. Yeah, it's the obvious thing, isn't it? And then, <laughs> and then you, you know, you could have kept your, your four of you know Dickinson on one side, Torrey on one, on the other, and then Riley and Guy in the middle, keeping it busy. Hard-working middle duo, wasn't it? Yeah, it'd be a hard-working middle duo. I'm sure they would cover the ground. He just seems straight away. His, his idea was, I don't want to lose this one now. There was no sort of, and I, I, yeah, I can't sort of understand. You want to keep it tight, but you don't want to just sit there and invite the pressure on you, do you? Mm. Not that early in the game. We were halfway through the first half, was it? Yeah, it's, it's like twenty minutes gone. For me, he could have waited a little bit and at least. Mm. And I think he dropped Guy into centre. In fact, that's the thing as well. When he got sent off, he didn't obviously bring mm. Hayden on straight away. He dropped Guy to centre back. He just he just seems to have this idea that Mellish cannot play centre-back at all, doesn't he? Mm, exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird obsession. Um, before we move on to the Orient game, brief mention to Brennan Dickinson there, Dan. It's rotten luck for him, isn't it? He looks like very, he's could very. be in trouble for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think there was an article today saying they were awaiting uh, results. I assume he's had a scan or something. But, uh, Never a I think, sign, is it? I, I, I think I read that he, he had to go to the local hospital. He was on crutches. And I think uh, Gavin Skelton ended up driving him home separately from the rest of the team. Obviously, the time it took to get sorted. So, not being the best of seasons for uh, Brennan, who undoubtedly could be one of the better players in League 2. You know, we know he's got the, the calibre. But, we were just uh, starting to see, weren't we? I think we just yeah, yeah, flashes just, his quality. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You yeah. know, I mean, he missed the first half. Mm. And then we had all the COVID and postponements. And I think it's just a season to write off for him. Yeah, I think that's the best way to look at that one. All right, well, let's move on to the Orient game then. I mean... Do we, uh, do we have to? God, this was generally one of the worst games of football I've watched in a long time. I mean, and I watched the Grimsby game a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> it tells you a lot, doesn't it? Really, I mean, it does. It does sort of open your eyes up, doesn't it? When you're watching it on the telly rather than being there in person. And you know, when you're in person, you have got distractions. You're talking to your mates, whatever, aren't you? You're catching up and things like that. When you watch it on telly, you realise how bad it was. And I think it was summed up perfectly, wasn't it, Dan? By that clip that Rob Morley put on Twitter of about forty seconds of the action, and it doesn't look good for both teams does it no it was just sort of like a aerial ping pong <laughs> around the left central midfield area wasn't it yeah well it, it summed up because it, 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 it was a clip that was he filmed live while the game was being broadcast on the iFollow and James Phillips is commentating on it 
And he's not talking about the action at all. He's talking about anything other than that. He's talking about things happening elsewhere, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no talk of the actual game itself. Mm. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts were on this game, Mike. I mean, just for me, just totally a game to forget, wasn't it? Well, well yeah. I mean, that video, I think it was like 40 seconds long or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think you could have done any 40 seconds and it would have looked <laughs> the same. Do you know what I mean? It was just a, an absolutely awful game to watch. And like you say, like if, if we're gone... Would at least sort of, uh, you know, sort of have a laugh with your mates and maybe have a few pints after the game or even a few pints before the game and you'd be half cut and you wouldn't really care so much. But it's just uh, <laughs> awful to watch. And like when you're sort of watching it at home and you don't have these sort of other uh, distractions of the match day experience, you could say it's just. It's just awful to watch. I'm, I'm starting to think now that maybe I don't even like football. I just like <laughs> drinking at six o'clock in the morning, like to be honest, because it's just terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it just awful. I mean, uh, let, let's just get straight to the goal, shall we? I mean, this this goal sums up the game, really, doesn't it? Big punt forward, keeper comes running out, player takes a chance, lobs it over him, scores with you know one of the last chances of the match. I mean, it, it, it's one of those ones. There's no doubt Paul Farman is at fault for the goal, isn't he? It, it, it's his fault. He doesn't yeah. need to come out for that one. What I'd say is when you watch the video back, it looks to me like when the ball's kicked, when it's in the air, it looks like it's going to bounce straight down the middle. And mm. I think Farman comes out towards the penalty spot thinking, I've got a chance to get in here, get the ball early, and then I can release it early to get us back off the pitch quickly. But he gets to the penalty spot and he realises actually it's, it's bouncing towards the right wing. And he panics, and rather than sort of taking a step back and heading back towards his goal, which he probably had time to do, he rushes out to the left side of his area to chase the yeah, ball. Yeah, because I think uh, Furman was coming across, wasn't he? Yeah, he was coming across to cover the attacker. And the attacker looks and sees, what the hell's the keeper doing here? You know what, I'm just going to have a go. And he just lobs it over him into the empty goal. It's it's just, it's one of those ones, isn't it? He's, he's been a really good judge of this whole season, actually, Farman, in the keeper-sweeper role. And it's the one time he's got it wrong, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we can't be too harsh on Paul Farman. You know, he's been one of the the better players over the season. But uh, I think he'd probably be the first to hold his hand up to it as well. Uh, Leighton Orient tweeted a view of it from the director's box in the main stand. Mm. It was quite interesting watching it from that angle. Uh, I assume one of their sports science guys was filming from up there for their own stuff but uh yeah yeah it, it just just wasn't good really wasn't it i mean mike i mean to me we just lacked ambition in this game to win it didn't we we, we looked like we were fairly comfortable with the idea of a nil nil didn't we yeah i mean i think going back to their goal i think wilkinson still had a bit to do with it it's a good finish, um, good finish. It, 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 it is a good finish. I mean, I, I'm not taking the blame away from Farman here, but as a team, you want to be asking those sorts of questions of a goalkeeper. You want to be, you know, catching him out and sort of having him... Because as a keeper, when you've started to come out, you have a choice. You either come out further or you go back to your line. You do, like you can't sit where you are and you're panicking and this and that and the other. And that's kind of what we should be doing, you know, asking them sorts of questions of teams and making players make rash decisions. And we just were not doing that at all, were we? We were just sort of... The only questions that we were asking is, oh, you know, do you want to pass this ball to a teammate or do you want to knock it long? Because you can just have it, it's fine. Like The, the amount of aimless punts was astonishing this game. And mm. I mean, 
to give you an example here, um, Callum Guy, first half of the season, one of the best midfielders in the division. I don't think anyone would doubt that. He was yeah. winning the ball back all the time. But when he was getting it, he was then playing out wide to, to likes of Tanner and to Anderton. And he was getting the wingers involved and he was he was playing the simple passes when he had to. I lost count of the amount of times last night. He won the ball and then just hooked it forward with no mm. thought as to who it was going to. He was basically just saying, all right, Ozzy, you have a chase of this up front. And fair play, Ozzy, he chased down a few of them and, and created something. But that's not that's not a viable tactic long term, is it? I mean, but I, is he being told to do that? Probably, yeah. But I mean, the one time we've played well recently was the Bradford game. Where we started, we weren't 100% like we played the first half of the season, but we started to do that again. Callum Guy started to get the ball down and played out wide to players out mm. wide. But we weren't doing that. I mean, I, 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 don't, I just don't, I can't understand it. I, I really can't. And, and you know, Beach will bang on about the wind. I'll talk about that in a minute. But if the wind's an issue, get the ball down. Stop mm-hmm. knocking it long. Surely that that's the best thing to do. I mean, well, I don't know what your thoughts are on all this, Dan. It, it just it just really frustrates me. Yeah, uh, the as I've slightly mentioned earlier, the the only one highlight of the game for me was Dean Furman. Uh, I thought he was at least trying to create things more so than Guy. Probably. I mean, I'm I'm a confirmed fan of Furman, as as you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, you know, he he was the one who looked like he would make something happen last night. There was two or three times in the first half where he was breaking up the left, uh, swapping it a bit with uh, Alessandro a couple of times, and we were getting a couple of good crosses in. Uh, which, in comparison to what you've just said about Guy, who just seemed to, you know, he just wants to get rid of it and straight away, you know, as earlier in the season he'd maybe take a touch and then look up and play it and you know mm. the confidence was there it, it yeah. clearly isn't at the moment no absolutely and you're right about Thurman Thurman was quite direct in the way he was playing he, he got the ball down but when it's like direct he, he was playing sharp quick passes into players out wide mm. and, he, and, he, and he, he looked positive what he, was covered a lot of, he, he covered a lot of ground as well yeah. I thought yeah yeah I've got, I've, got to, I've got to say as well Torre his best games for us have been on the left He's not good enough at crossing to play on the right. He's good at cutting inside and, you know, making defenders get a little bit nervous. But his crossing is just not good enough, is it? And, you know, it's one of them, maybe if he could cross a ball, he wouldn't be at Carlisle and all the rest of it. But, you know, all his best games have been on the left. So yeah. just play him on the left. Yeah, it was weird that the, the couple of times where he looked a threat in this game was when he was on the left wing. And mm. I can't understand why Beach doesn't notice that. And think right, give me you go and play out on the on the left for for half an hour because I'm not really funny, but Alessandro can do it on either side. Alessandro's comfortable. And Alessandro linked up well with Arna when he was on mm. the right. It it just didn't didn't make any sense to me that. And actually, Dan, I, I would point out that there was one other positive point from the game. We took a direct free kick. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know what? It wasn't far off being on target. It was only just yeah. wide of the post, and you think. And that wasn't actually the most clearest opportunity. It was a bit further out than you'd probably normally ever go from. Mm. And you think, why have we not been doing that sooner? That 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 is infuriating. That really is. Let, let's talk about the the post match interview and Beach's comments, and particularly let's focus on the what we mentioned before there, Dan, about the subs. Um, well, no, no, I, I think we should start. There's one comment we need to start one. Yeah, and that was 
we played well tonight. Yeah, I, I, I can't have that. I, I just can't. We didn't play well. I, I mm. genuinely don't know what game Chris Beach was watching with that comment. It, 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 it's puzzling, isn't it? I mean, he's made the comment, isn't he? And we'll, we'll get a bit more into Beach in a moment. But the whole, oh, yeah, they've worked hard. And, you know, the, the, people can't say they aren't putting the effort in. It's like, no, no one is saying they're not putting the effort in. Mm. In fact, most people are saying, actually, they still look like a side that's playing for the manager. But that's not enough on its own. You need more than that. You need good performances to go with it. And we're not getting that now. We're not getting players who are being more composed and getting the ball down and trying to play a bit of football alongside being direct when you have to. It's, I mean, the whole subs thing. His excuse was, I don't think he directly said the words win, but he more or less said the conditions and, you know, with the win and that kind of thing. I didn't think it was right to make any subs. And, and I, I've never heard a manager use that as an excuse for not making subs. Have you? No. It, no. it smacks of me of his, he thought, I'm not going to make any subs there. I'm going to keep it tight for as long as possible and try and nick it. And then afterwards he's thinking, I've got to make an excuse now for why I've not made any subs. And I think he used the one was, oh, you know, you, you've got to be, you know, if I make the sub as well, it could open up for opportunity for the fullbacks to get up the pitch for Orient. And it's like, not very funny, but if you put on a Mario Patrick, that gives the fullbacks something to think about, surely. And he's got mm-hmm. to track back a bit more because he's got a player who's going to have a go at goal. Exactly. It's it, it's it's so negative in the thinking, and they talk about all oh, but Orient have got a load of six foot, you know, tall players, and you've got to consider that. And he said that's one of the reasons he kept Alessandro. Well, that's Alessandro's five foot eleven, <laughs> and we leave him up on most set pieces. Mm. So what difference would it make if if you put a Mario Patrick on there instead? He's just over six foot. Exactly. It, I, I don't I don't understand. There's there's no excuse for me for not making any subs in that game. Not looking no. and thinking, for me that that he settled for a nil in that game. He said, "I don't want to get beat. Keep a clean sheet. I'll be happy with that." As a start of a run in these three home games, for me there was no ambition to win that game. I don't think. No, I don't know what your, your thoughts are, Dan. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think you're right. It's smacked of uh, keep the clean sheet. We'll get a draw at the minimum, and if we can snatch it, we can snatch it. But trying to snatch it without bringing on pacey players late on, fresh off the bench, is a strange tactic, isn't it? It's an unusual one, isn't it? And for me, obviously, you're not going to take Zanzara off because he actually was having a decent game. But you could have taken either Tori or Alessandro off and put Walker and, and Patrick on and had a go, at the very least. I know you're probably not going to make many changes in midfield. I think, actually, arguably, John Mellish had his best game in a long time, actually, I think. And choosing, I think he did. He, I thought he did. I thought he looked direct, <laughs> and he well, he created the one real chance in the second half by actually driving forward the ball and putting the ball into the box to Zanzala, and the, the shot was def- deflected wide. The one time a player actually looked to do that, he looked positive at the very least, which I couldn't really say that for some of the other players in the team. Yeah. It, it's one of those ones, isn't it? I mean, Beach's post-match interview. I mean, we've seen the YouTube one with the club as well, but the one with the radio was particularly short with James at times and I think James was actually quite fair at him I mean he could have probably been a little bit more critical I think he was critical in the sense but he was the problem was Beach I think was already on the line when he was reading out some of the tweets from people about the game and none of them were complimentary and I think that got Beach a little bit riled up possibly 
Um, yeah, that the we've we've got this as a talking point. The the references to true supporters. Do, dodgy, gra- dodgy, dodgy ground to go down when you start mentioning that. And when you're mm. on a run of three point, well, six points from thirty six, and you start talking about all the true supporters are backing us and that kind of thing. For for focus spending good money on I follow this season. Well, you know, I mean, I, I worked out. I've I've spent, I think, just over three hundred pound on I follow this season. Yeah, but mm. I've also spent money to go to those five home games that we were able to go to. Yeah, during yeah. the campaign, uh, uh, I'll t- I'll tell you something as well. If uh, if Chris Beach thinks a few tweets read out on Radio Cumbria is harsh, he wants <laughs> he wants he wants to thank his lucky stars that the paddock wasn't in attendance last night. What, what do you reckon mm. the paddock would have done if if we'd had that game there last night and Chris Beach, with they score in the 88th minute and Chris Beach has made no subs. Do you reckon he's going to get, oh, we, we totally understand you, Chris. You know, the conditions are bad, you know. And Orient have got that threat going forward, you know, being the great team that they are. Do you reckon they've gone like that? Not a chance in hell no. they would have done. But likewise, other th- sort of niggling issues that we've had this season, like the, you know, um, indirect, direct free kicks that we mentioned earlier, he would have been getting pelters for them. And I, th- yeah. I feel like the paddock maybe could have, made him see sense on a couple of issues that he's quite stubborn about yeah it's one of those ones isn't it in one sense you look at it and actually not having fans probably helped someone like John Mellish at the start of the season because mm. when he was on that dodgy run he was able to still keep playing the games without the fans there on his back and then he got into the great one where he was scoring goals and playing well but then with something like this the those were just, the days weren't they uh, the glory days <laughs> the good old days uh, but then now if you look at it now the manager thinks everything's hunky-dory and actually we're not doing too bad, we're playing all right. Whereas actually, if the fans were there, the fans would be telling him, this mm. is crap, it's not good enough. We mm. need to be playing better. That's what they'd be saying. The criticising fans thing, I, I think he's got to be very, very careful with that. He really does have to. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if the club say, right, we're going to stick with him till the summer you know, and give him a chance to go again next season. Well, it'll be funny, but people paying money to watch those games right now are going to look and think, if that's what he's serving up, why should I bother coming back next season? And suddenly yeah, they're struggling yeah. to get a thousand season ticket holders. And, despite and I tell the fact you what, that we haven't been able to go for ages. You know? If if you paid for an iFollow pass for that late in Orient game after seeing our recent performances, you are absolutely a true fan. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? There is no doubt about that because we haven't been playing well, and I feel like the club. This is something that's sort of been ongoing for a few years now, but we used to sort of be getting gates of about 6,000 and it, we've kind of dwindled down to our absolute diehard, loyal supporters. We're at four feel, now, aren't we? Yeah, you know, and I feel the, the, the sort of four that we're getting, these are the fans who will sort of always be there through thick and thin, but he's pissing us off now. Do you know what I mean? And it's like... Well, the thing is... It's, it's a long-term thing as well. It's not just his fault, but we've had seven years in this division now and we, we, we're we collapsing at Christmas at every chance we get of going up. Mm. And there's only so much fans can put up with that for that. And people, uh, like you said, the crowds are dropping so much. It'll get to the point where people are like, what's the point in getting excited? Because mm. we're, we're not doing it every season. We're just going to collapse at Christmas. And I know there's conspiracy theories and they're nonsense. They're not getting told to throw away. But the fact is we are collapsing at Christmas every chance we get mm. it's the way it is um, let, let's get straight on then let's get into this inquest side of things shall we because we've gone on a bit more than I thought we would about the Orient game <laughs> if I'm honest um, it's one win from 12 that, that that's the blunt way of putting it 
how long can the run go on before you start to say the manager's not up to it, he's not capable of turning this team around? Even allowing for all the excuses about you know, a four-week disruption in terms of games and things like that. How long can you let that go on before you've got to say enough's enough, thanks, but it's time to move on? Mm, I would probably say these next two home games at present. Yeah. Just yeah, as think, well. I think just. I agree. Because after mm. after those after the Cambridge and Crawley games, we've got a trip to Southend, Scunthorpe at home, and Barrow away as the next three. Now, three, on paper, very easy fixtures. In reality, on current form, you know, three months ago, we were absolutely loving the idea of going to Barrow. Now nobody's wanting to. No, they'll mm. beat us. And on current form, they would comfortably beat us. I'm, mm. I'm sure of that. And We'll be on medium wave next season. Don't you start with that. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, right, if you look at the remaining fixtures, and bear in mind our away form this season's been... Let, let's be blunt on that. Can you see us winning another away game this season? The only one I can see is having a chance of winning is Southend. And other than that, I look at every away game and think, we're not going to win one. Even Southend aren't the Southend that we brushed aside earlier in the mm. season. No, and it's we, a well, you, you, look, you look at the other ones, I've got the fixtures up here. Yeah. We've got Newport away on a Tuesday night. We never get anything at Newport anyway. Yeah. Although, is that at Cardiff? No. no, I think I, no is it at Newport? Then. Yeah. Uh, Bolton away the week after. We, God, God, as I've already me. said, Bolton are winning the league for me. That terrifies me, that game. Then the following Tuesday, we've got Cheltenham away, which you wouldn't fancy us at the moment. And then our last away game on the 1st of May is Leighton Orient again. Just You, 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 can't, you, can't, you see, can't see a win, can you? I, I think Southend, a point at Southend is probably the best we'll get. And I think we'll lose the rest. A, a point, well, a point at Southend and Barrow... Maybe, you know. Yeah. And, that, and that's, 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 that's a hell of a change from three months ago, isn't it? And the thing is, well, when you get to the point of playing the Barrow game, they're on the running then. And at that point, they might actually be at a point where they say, actually, two more wins and we're safe. And they'll be really gunning for it. Whereas mm. we will be at the point where, well, our season's over. And we'll list towards a defeat. That's, that's the feeling I get for a game like that. And even with the home games remaining, I mean, how many points do you see from them? Not many. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. see many. You know, there's no gimmies in there. I mean, Scunthorpe have picked up a bit of form now. You know, they're getting the odd result here and there as well. Uh, it just, it, feel, it feels like we're really listing towards a, a bottom half finish at the moment. In my, in yeah, my view. definitely, definitely. I put a poll up on the Be Just and Fearnock group last night after the game to get fans' thoughts on, do they want to stick with Chris Beach or get rid um, I put it on the Be Just and Fair Not group because if you put it on Twitter, it's open to fans of every club and you don't get a real sort of accurate view yeah, do you, yeah. in terms of what the fans actually think. I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised to see that it's around about 73% are in favour with sticking with the manager. I thought, I, I didn't necessarily think it would be a majority in favour of getting rid, but I thought it would be very close. But as it is, it's around about Three yeah. to one, isn't it? Roughly three, three to one roundabout. Yeah, uh, saying they would they would stick with him. Uh, it's a little bit of a surprise, but actually, when you look through the comments, there's still a lot of re- reservations. It's not people saying like, "Oh no, it'll be fine." You know, we've had a bad run. It's just the way it is. People are saying, "I'm I'll stick with him, but I'm concerned." That that's the, the feeling I get. The, the main thing I, I saw from the comments was 
this thing about he's an inexperienced coach. He's not. He's coached for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Mm. He's not green out of a playing career, is he? This this, this bringing in, you know, like a sort of Dennis Booth to Paul Simpson type figure, you know, it's just, I, I don't really think that would be the answer. No. I no. mean, well, Simpson had Ward to start with, didn't he? John Ward was his assistant at the start. Yeah. And then when Ward left, that's when Booth came in. So he wasn't brought in as like, oh, we're struggling, bring Dennis Booth in and he'll help turn us around. He no, had experience no. coaching there from the start. Yeah, he was another head to bounce ideas off, wasn't he? Yeah. And not be funny, but Beach has now been in charge for, what, 15 months now, something like that? 16 months? Yeah. If I'm Chris Beach and you're saying to me, I'm going to bring in an assistant, like, they say Holdsworth, we'll get on to him in a minute, by the way, um, says to him, right, we're going to bring in an experienced coach to support you to get you through this. I'm Chris Beach, I turn and go, why? I'm confident in my own ability. He seems to think we're playing well. So yeah, Mike, I don't know what your thoughts are in terms of the whole bringing in an experienced coach thing. Um, Well, you know, he is an experienced coach, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to put it simply. And uh, yeah, uh, and... Gavin Skelton isn't exactly inexperienced either, is he? No, you he's know, been so coaching for a while. Yeah, so yeah, I don't buy into that at all, to be honest. Yeah, for me, as soon as you bring an experienced coach, it just undermines him because people will say the only reason we got out of this trouble is because of that experienced coach, and then mm. your issue then, well, do you get rid of that person or do you keep them on or whatever? It's it's not like he's caretaker or something until the end of the season, and it's just someone in to give him a hand to to get through and then he becomes permanent boss he's the, he's the gaffer at the end of the day so mm. it, it, yeah I'm, I'm i'm really not convinced by that bit at all um he, he seems quite unwilling to criticize the players doesn't he and I, I understand that's kind of a modern manager thing they try and keep the players on the side and that but it's interesting we'll hear from a cambridge fan in a minute as part of the preview for that game and they talk about the fact that the their manager doesn't mint his words when they play badly he will bollock them if he thinks they've been crap. Mm. Beach just seems so reluctant to do that, and maybe it does need him to actually. Because if, if he's if he's thinking we're playing well in a game like that Orient game, and he's going into the dressing room saying to them, "Oh, you played well, lads. You were just a bit unlucky. We just got a bit of a sucker punch." They're going to go home thinking, "All right, we played all right there. That's fine." Mm. And they didn't. <laughs> that, that's the way it is, isn't it, Mike? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And. Yeah, I think we could do with a bit of that, but I think we need we need something more on the pitch as well. You know, I've said I've said before years ago when we had some really good sort of leaders out on the pitch, and we don't really have any of them. And quite a lot say if a player will shoot rather than square or whatever, they're just all sort of saying, "Oh, unlucky," rather than you know having a go at each other and saying, "You know, you should have squared it to me there." They, they don't seem aggressive enough. Too nice, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Too many nice players in there, not enough b- really, isn't it? <laughs> you, you need a couple of b- in there who are going to wind people up. I mean, even like when Ian Atkins was in charge of him struggling in the bottom, he brought in someone like Darren Carr, who was a proper nasty piece of a work. Yeah, a proper mm. nasty piece of work, Yeah, but he helped get us a little bit away from trouble because mm. cause that's the kind of person he was. He wouldn't take any crap. Um, The lack of plan B's costing us, and I know that Beach will have built this squad around playing 4-3-3. He said that's the way he wants us to play. He wants us to play up formation in that style. Fine. But it is not working, and it's 12 games of not working now. When do you get to the point where you think, just change it up a little bit, go free at the back for a couple of games, see how it does? 
Because if you're persevering with it and you all you're doing is sort of tinkering around the edges and taking a couple of players out and playing the same way and it's not working, it's going to cost you, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, uh, like we've mentioned before, other teams have more than cottoned on to how we we set out to play now. You know, you know, quick quick release, long ball, long throw, percentage and, points. Yeah, and you know we're, we're happy without the ball if need be, but uh, you know if that's long gone out the window. But it just doesn't seem to be much change to it, does it? You know, it's. Like you say, go free at the back for a game. You know, even just why not go old fashioned and go four four two and play two bloody strikers? You yeah, know? I know that the, the, a lot of people say with that one, the problem there is you only end up with two in centre midfield and you can get overrun. Well, we've played a couple of teams recently that play two in midfield and they've not struggled against us. Yeah. And, and they've if, not if you, have, if you have someone like Toure, one thing Toure does do, he does get up and down and he does get back and helps his yeah. full back a bit. So I don't think it'd be mm. too much of a problem. No, absolutely not. But the th- the thing is, as well, is it's not as if we don't have players that you can play football with. You know, we ha- we have some really good ball playing players. So why not try and get them to play a little bit more? You know, it, it's not like we're sort of the Stevenage teams of old, where everyone's six foot five and you know, like built Clockers. like a rugby player. The, exactly. the bygone either of Graham Westley. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we, we have a very good football team, and why not? Play to you, you could say it's playing to our strengths a little bit, having some of them players play football. Yeah. Um all right, let's get on to um the turtleneck wearing um legend that is David Holsworth. <laughs> Who's very quiet very quiet, isn't he? It's funny that yeah. he was he was he was crowing about what a great January transfer window we had. He was crowing before Christmas about our great form. But we've not really heard from him for what, nearly two months now? I actually made a prediction on the forum this morning that if enough of us go on about him, he will probably wheel himself out to make some comments at some point. Maybe we'll get part so, five and six of that video finally. <laughs> but yeah, no, if, uh, I think if enough people mention him on Facebook and Twitter and that, that he'll be forced to uh, come down from his high chair and make comments. Or, or when, whenever Andrew Jenkins' birthday is, because I think that can't be too far away. I think because <laughs> yeah, for, 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 for those that don't know, I, I think it, it must be not far off a year ago because I think it was like the start of lockdown. But it, he sh- he shared this really weird video, didn't he? And it was on the it was on it was on the club's uh, like social medias, and he was just <laughs> and there was a button. <laughs> It was about Weird a minute long, way, and, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a minute long and wishing happy birthday to Andrew Jenkins. When when uh, when when this when it, this edition comes out for all you listeners, after you've had a chance to listen to it, we'll uh, we'll dig it out and uh, post yeah, because we've it again. saved it. So we've saved it somewhere, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the club promptly deleted it the morning after. <laughs> yeah, it's I but, think yeah, it was just but, but, bizarre. But anyway, to, to be to be more serious on the point, to be fair. He's director of football. He should be coming out and speaking when things are bad as well. He should be, at the very least, coming out and saying, we're backing Chris. And you, you know what? Even if they come out and say, look, we, we had it really rough with coronavirus because Beaches use that as an excuse. And if it was that bad, then fair enough. Come out and say, you know what? The club was affected by coronavirus really badly and actually worse than we first thought. This season is a write-off. And just be mm. honest and say that. And I don't think fans would be offended if you did that. They would say, you know what, fair enough. They'd say, we're being honest here. 
it, it, things just haven't gone for us since Christmas. The coronavirus has really badly affected us. We're going to work towards getting the performances better before the end of the season and have a real good go at it over the summer and into next season. I'm sure people would respect that a lot more, wouldn't they? Mm. Well, it'd be honest for the start, wouldn't it? It'd be honesty, which is not something that comes in great spades with Carlisle United at times. But as well, if Beach is to go at some point, you know, that'll be it. A couple of managers haven't succeeded. And who's the common denominator? You know, Holdsworth has always been here. So why, you know, it's it's all good and well sacking the managers, but... Why are questions not been asked of him? If yeah, I, I, I was, was going to mention that myself. Yeah, yeah at some be. at some point, his role surely gets questioned. Well, the thing is, I, a lot of Carlisle fans don't like the idea of a director of football. I'm I'm the opposite. I think I think it's a staple part of the modern game at a professional club, and I've been quite vocal about that on the, the forum for since Holdsworth came in. The question isn't whether we need a director of football. The question is, is David Holdsworth the right man to be our director of football? Would we have appointed him if he wasn't a mate of Phil Day? No. He wouldn't have been anywhere near the job? No. Not a chance. He literally no. got the job because he was there to keep an eye on things for Edinburgh Watermill. Yeah. Let, let's be brutally honest here. There's mm. no doubt about that. And his wage is no longer guaranteed by Edinburgh Watermill. The club are paying it themselves. So there's responsibility there to actually deliver for me. I, that, yeah, it, it, that's a good point. Accountability. Yeah, and, mm. and you know what? He clearly didn't want Presley as manager. I think we, there's been plenty of, we've heard that before, haven't we, Dan? From yeah, the we all know who was preferred from, in, from David Holdsworth's point of view. He did not He did not want Presley as manager. It, that was a decision from Andrew Jenkins, I think, and the, and the board took that above him. He, Chris Beach was his preferred choice as manager. Let, let there be no doubt about that. Yeah. Because he, he'll bang on about how great he was and how we, we appointed him and stuff. So he clearly had a, a strong hand in that. So he's got to take the responsibility in terms of that. He needs to come out and, and say something in the, in, the, in the next week, surely. Because surely he can't have heard what B said after that game, his excuse for not making subs and talking about how we, you know, we've played well and stuff and think to himself, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, well, that's fair uh, earlier in the season, you would see Holdsworth down at the touchline in a couple of games and that, wouldn't you? Yeah. And then he got his little uh, slap on the wrist and fine from the FA for one game, didn't he? Yeah, and he's now in the, in the, and he's, the director's uh, box. The yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting. When you go over to Germany, I was, I, I've said before, I follow her to Berlin in Germany, and their sporting director, um, he sits on the bench with the manager. He's a part of the actual team. He doesn't coach the team, but he's there to, to see what's happening and analyse and actually be able to know what's going on on the bench. And you sometimes wonder if that would be a good thing for a director of football to be down there and actually see what the I, doing. I, would, I wouldn't be a fan of that personally. I think they're, they're sort of... They're the link between the boardroom and the, the football mm. department, as we call it. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be a massive fan of them being on the bench. But... No, that's fair enough. Right, well, I mean... We've gone on for quite a bit on this bit anyway, so let's sort of wrap it up. I'll ask you all for both of you your opinions. I'll give mine as well. Stick or twist with Beach, Mike. Well, I said get rid um, on the poll, um, but I think certainly if we don't get good results from the next two games, definitely, definitely. But it, it was a reluctant get rid on the poll. Dan. We need to get at least... Well, I wanted six points from the three games 
bearing in mind Cambridge's position and form, I think if we could get a draw against Cambridge and beat Crawley, four points, he gets more time. If we only get two points or less, that's three home games in the space of eight days with a very poor return and serious questions would need to be asked, bearing in mind those fixtures following against some of the lesser lights of the division, which we wouldn't be facing comfortably. So Sounds like you're a stick just about. Just about, but this time next week, if we've had two poor results, I certainly won't be sticking. And I'm I'm I'm, try, I'm trying to be as fair as possible there, you know, yeah. given given what's gone on this, you know, since January. I have to admit, in the poll, I voted to get rid. That's why I said I'll be honest with that. Um, part of the reasoning for that was listening to his post-match interview just didn't convince me that he realised how seriously poor we've been. I felt that it came across as a little bit deluded to me. That's my personal opinion. Um, if he'd come out after that game and said, look, that was poor, not good enough. Yeah, we've been hit by a sucker punch, but we've yeah, not yeah. done enough to win that game. And that's not good enough. I probably would have given him a bit more slack and said, fair enough, he's accepting that we haven't been good enough and that we need to be better against Cambridge. But the fact that he doesn't realise it, that that has it in the back of my head that he thinks it's all right to keep going on this run of form. And I think the lack of fans at games has probably helped almost keep that delusion going in my head. I'm sort of, I'd agree with you both in the sense that if we can get, if we can get a couple of good results for the next two games, if we can get four points from them, I'd, 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 st- I'd say, okay, you've earned a bit of grace. Let's just get some better performances towards the end of the season and get I'll, ourselves I'll, a top half finish at the very least, and then kick on in the summer. But- I've just looked there at uh, the league table on January the second when we went top when we yeah. won at Walsall, and Saturday will be exactly twelve weeks since that game, and we're currently sat in twelfth. Is it? So, for every week, we've dropped a place this year. And I know we haven't played for some of those weeks, yeah, but, yeah. For for me, I I would have said, get rid, but the fact that he wasn't sacked today tells me he's not going to be sacked Mm. before the weekend because they would have just got rid of him today if it was going. Um, They're going to stick with him, fair enough. That's the way he is. Get a couple of good results and, you know what, fine. Give him the time. But there has to be improved performances for the end of the season. Can't keep playing like that because it'll just put off people coming next if, season to if, games. If if we could draw Cambridge and beat Crawley, you would maybe think, well, given that we're playing Southend, Scunthorpe and Barrow, let's see what happens from them. Yeah. Mm. But if 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 we then lose to Southend, if, 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 if we lose to South, it. if we lose those three games, poof, that's it. Good grief! Yeah, just the way it is. That's been a long first half, that lad, and, uh, and people won't realise, but a bit of a technical slog as well, unfortunately, because yeah, uh, yeah. the gremlins have been in there. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll knit it together seamlessly. God knows how I'm <laughs> going to do that, but there you go. Um, yeah, so I think that's the end of the first half. I think we're on an agreement. He's in his last chance saloon, basically. We need to, we need to start getting results. I think that's soon. a fair... fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think even those who've said stick generally on that poll have said the same, haven't they, basically. Yeah. There you go. Okay, that's the end of the first half. Uh, we'll take a little break now and then we'll be back to look ahead to the uh, games against Cambridge and Crawley. So we'll be back in just a sec. Hi, this is George Tanner. You are listening to the Brunton Bugle. Okay, so we're back for part two now. We're going to look ahead to the games against 
Cambridge and Crawley. Um, first up, uh, it's one of our uh, away fan podcast preview bits. So we speak to uh, a fan who presents their own podcast following uh, another League Two club. Um, today we've got Jack from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. Uh, funny enough, Jack is actually from Carlisle originally. So uh, he's lived down in Cambridge now. He's a Cambridge fan uh, and he's one of the presenters on the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. And uh, he spoke to us about the, the, quite frankly, brilliant season Cambridge are having, which I don't think anyone really expected. So uh, here's the bit we did with Jack uh, right now. Okay, Jack. So thanks for joining us um, on the podcast today. Um, Cambridge United, what a season you were having. I mean, go back to pre-season. Surely you could not have imagined how well this campaign was going to go for you guys, could you? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think there was some kind of cautious optimism about how Cambridge could do this season, given getting the right players in and things going their way. Uh, there was a load of uh, you know unsureness about everything. Really, we weren't sure whether the season would go as normal. But yeah, going into it, there's certainly no thoughts that we'd be uh, in the automatic promotion places come the end of March. And it's um, things have gone our way this season brilliantly. But there's been some some standout players in there, and it's it's been a great season so far. Just a shame we've not been able. To, to be there to see it, really. Yeah, it's one of those frustrating things, isn't it? We, we've been, we were quite lucky at Carlisle. I think you guys actually got to go to a couple of games as well, didn't you? But we got a few games at Christmas when things were going well for us. <laughs> Funny enough, it's all gone to, to pop now. But uh, what's been the secret of how you've done so well? I mean, when I look through the squad, it, it doesn't look the strongest to me, but it seems to have just a couple of quality players in the key areas. It's interesting because there's those kind of highlight players that you would see. So Wes Houlihan's been a huge part of everything in Cambridge United's success this season. You know, he was playing Saturdays and not the Tuesdays. And there was quite a big correlation between not winning Tuesday night games when he wasn't playing and winning Saturdays when he was. So he's kind of the linchpin and he's got that international quality. You know, even at 39, he's one probably one of the best players in the league. So he's been unreal. Paul Mullin has just become our equal record record goal scorer um, over a league season. And he's just been unreal. So sharp in front of goal, you know, really endeared himself to the fans. But there's just been like a proper solidity through that squad that we haven't had in years gone by. And there's got to be honourable mentions to two of the old guard, Greg Taylor and Harrison Dunk, um, who've kind of had questions asked of them for the last few years within the Cambridge United, really. And they've just uh, replied this season. Greg's been kind of the solid mainstay at centre-back. He's had quite a few centre-back partners, but he's been the one who's been there throughout. And Harrison Dunk on the left-hand side, both at left-back and further forward, has just, yeah, proved his critics wrong. And there's just been players like that. There's been... Solidity in the middle, bringing in Hiram Boateng from MK Dons has been amazing. We've not had him for as long as we thought we were going to because of a a shoulder injury. But when he's played, he's been a real cut above. So just players like that, keeping relatively injury-free. But even when we've had those injuries, calling on players um, on the bench. And yeah, it's just been a really good squad effort and well-managed by Mark Bonner as well. Hats off to Mark Bonner because there was a few doubters there when he got the job. But really, it's been a good success story so far. I'll get on to Mark in a moment, actually, because, like I said, he's done an incredible job by looks things. But interesting, you mentioned Hulahan there. We nearly signed him, I think, about 18 years ago when he was playing in Ireland still, Shelbourne. And we had Roddy Collins as our manager back then, uh, the Irishman. Um, yeah. And just couldn't quite get him. And I think he ended up going a year or two later to, to Norwich or wherever it was he went to. And he's been a success ever since. Um, yeah, talk about your manager, Mark Bonner. I mean, what an incredible job he's done in his it's his first management job, isn't it? I think. And the yeah, job so, he's done, you just couldn't have expected it to have gone as well, could you? 
not at all. He's been in the in the Cambridge United setup for a long time, you know, looking after the youth team, and he's you know he's been developing his kind of coaching style or whatever. But this is his first job, taking on as caretaker and then becoming full time. And just yeah, he calls a spade a spade. His post match interviews are very kind of forthright. He's very careful about how he words it, but he's also, you know, he gives the players. Um, a bit of a bollocking when they need it, but also he's just, yeah, he's just really good at getting those players playing. He changes it up kind of correctly. I feel like Cambridge United over the years, the last few managers, if you look at Joe Dunn, Sean Derry, Colin Calderwood, have all kind of changed systems when their hands have been forced. But I feel like Bonner's kind of got a couple of systems in mind and he studies the game, studies when it's right to play that. And yeah, he just is a football-minded manager and, and doesn't crumble under pressure because Cambridge have had a couple of runs this season which could have led to you know a capitulation much like Carl have had and luckily they've kind of managed to pull that back and we were talking about how sad it is that we've not had fans in but Cambridge United's poorest run this season was actually when we had the fans in so I don't know if somehow they've benefited from that this season but yeah Bonner's just done a cracking job and whatever happens this season I feel like Cambridge United have had a, you know a new lease of life and a lot of that is down to his management. Got missing Jack Idell. Obviously, he signed him in the summer after we let him go. How is he getting on? He seems to be doing pretty well. He's got a few good goals for you as well. Yeah, it's so it's interesting. You know, when we're talking back, it, you could almost name every player in the squad as having contributed. Really, like, you know, there's people who've done everything, and Idell's been one of those who's you know he's he's done really well. He's come in and taken his chance when he's been given it. Um, he's not started every game, but when he's played, he's played really well. And like you say, those goal contributions. It's not just the goals he scored, but he. he Supplies a few assists as well, and assisted the the winner for uh, Wes Houlihan on um, against Forest Green at the weekend as well. So yeah, he does just give that attacking threat. He scored an absolute corker a few weeks back and got a brace. So he offers an attacking threat as well as being a pretty solid defender. So I think there was there were questions asked about him when he came in from the fans, and he certainly yeah he certainly answered those critics. And it's uh, it's nice to see him, you know, be up for it even if he's not the starting every game he always seems like he's up for the challenge and yeah up for giving something for the team Isn't it frustrating I just want to mention there not being able to go to games but as a fan to see your team having probably the best season in such a long time taking away obviously how well you did to get all the conference when you did is it frustrating to think to yourself this is brilliant but we're not actually there to enjoy it it's difficult it's difficult because you know you get the, this this lockdown period we've been in now for you know over a year and you you get so excited about a Saturday or a Tuesday night trip and of course this Saturday coming is one of the biggest dates in the calendar for Cambridge United fans the away trip to Carlisle is an amazing day out you know it's a long train journey everyone gets up for it we're up at six in the morning it's all that that's what football being a football fan and going to the games is all about and missing out on that regardless of how your team's doing is really tough but when your team's up there like Cambridge are it makes it even harder and you know it's it's hard when you have to watch from home on your laptop or on your tv and you know we scored a 94th minute winner the other day and went absolutely crazy and you turn around it's just you sat in your front room celebrating like a madman it, it does take something away from it but you know it's not like um this decision's been taken lightly it's just a shame and i guess you know it makes us it'll make us more thankful when we are allowed to get back there about how good it is going down to the football definitely you obviously mentioned a few players who are key players there. I mean, take away Wes Hillman for a minute, who's obviously been brilliant for you. Who are the danger and we need to sort of watch out for, maybe that we don't 
know about as much at the weekend. Obviously, Paul Mullen seems an obvious one with his goals, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mullen, of course, has been the key. He's just like, he's so hot in front of goal. He'll score those kind of poacher style goals. He'll score penalties, but he's also banged a few in from outside the box as well. He's really versatile. He's really strong. Joe Joe Ironside up there with him as well is big, burly striker who will get amongst defenders. And he does a lot of work, you know, the second pass before the goal or just getting amongst defenders, dragging defenders away. So he's a really good compliment to when Paul Mullins playing up top. Um, and Cambridge United have benefited from having Liam O'Neill back in the setup as well. You know, he plays further back, you know, at the base of the diamond, depending on how Cambridge are playing, but he's just, he's just brought a bit more solidity and, and actually in a bit, you know, joined the defence and attack together a bit more, which was something we'd maybe missed in a couple of games if we look back to the Scunthorpe loss and uh, the, the Bolton loss. So, yeah, having him back has, has been good. So there's there's kind of danger from all over the pitch, really. And, of course, Houlihan contributes with goals and assists, but really, you know, any of that front six could uh, could put you in a bit of trouble. It's got to be worried now, I think it's fair to say. Um, what, what's your long-term sort of ambitions at Cambridge United at the moment? You've also managed to get yourselves back out of the conference after a few years down there. Um, what's the aims of the club? Obviously, you've been up at sort of what you what is now championship level, uh, going back what, 20, 30 years. Is there any ambition for that sort of thing again? Is there any ambitions to do anything more with the ground? Or do you develop the stand behind the goal? What, what's the hopes for the club? Well, like short term, if we look at just the, this season briefly, I mean, we, we we said at the start of the season on on our podcast, uh, like bare minimum should be playoffs really this season because, you know, seven years in the conference, rebuilding, building the good squad, things hadn't quite gone right, but you can go stagnant and it can lead to going the other way. So that was an aim for Cambridge. And with our game in hand and games in hand over teams, playoffs is still quite a realistic aim really because I think if uh, teams win their games in hand we'll be down to fourth anyway and then you know there's still a lot of games to go so Cambridge United need to look at the short term first and secure what would be a brilliant promotion but slightly longer term there's been a lot of conversations about a new ground um, in Cambridge there's quite a lot of you know city politics surrounding it um, and there's talk of it now being on uh, a bit of land a bit further out on where Marshall's Airport is in Cambridge there's a lot of talk about that I think Cambridge United for the first time in a while are a bit more financially solvent Um, the the owners brought in a couple of more investors who are now part owners and I think there's you know there's a little bit of uh, yeah a little bit of investment here and there so I think like stability wise Cambridge are doing quite well and I think the aim should be to get to League One and then you know, see if we can bolster. I don't think this squad complemented by three or four players would be challenging for promotion from League One. I think it would be more about looking the other way and trying to get survival. But I do think that should be where Cambridge United are aiming. Um, and I do think that's certainly possible. Uh, as you said, you look at this squad and it might not be the most on paper kind of glamorous or, you know, compared to some of the others in the league. But they've together they play really well and they definitely should be aiming for... Um, you know, for promotion and no imposter syndrome should creep in, really. Yep. Well, well let's wrap it up here then, um, Jack. Um, let's do the predictions. I mean, I, I say, well, how do you think it's going to go? But if you say anything other than a win for Cambridge, I think you're off your rocker based on the way we're playing at the moment. <laughs> That's the that's the horrible poison chalice that comes with being a football fan at any level, but especially this level. You go into a game on good form. I mean, Cambridge have won four games in um, March and actually lost two early on to Scunthorpe and Bolton. The Scunthorpe one was a surprise, the Bolton one not so much. Cambridge are on good form. They've shown kind of good resilience in games that they maybe 
maybe shouldn't have won or were, were on the back foot. And I, if we looked at this game on paper, yeah, I think we should go out there and win comfortably. You know, I'd, I'd say 2 0. But I feel like Carlisle, it always throws up a battle away. You know, we always hark back to a 4 all draw when Jabbo was still at Carlisle many moons ago. And everyone always remembers that game. And I think I'm going to be optimistic on a Cambridge perspective because I think we've done so well in those those games this season. I'm going to go 2-1 Cambridge, but I think it'll be a tighter game than people are expecting. I wouldn't probably disagree with that. I can see a Jack Idell winner in the 89th minute the way we're playing right now. Uh, Jack, thanks for giving up your time. And uh, Normally I say good luck for the rest of the season after Saturday, but I don't think you really need any luck on Saturday anyway. So Good luck for the rest of the season and hopefully uh, Cambridge can get themselves up into League One. All the best. Thank you. Okay, thanks again, Jack, for taking your time to speak to us about Cambridge's season. Um, Mikey, it's nice to talk to a fan who's uh, positive because uh, some of the recent ones we've had have been fans struggling near the bottom, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and to be honest, it sounds like Cambridge uh, everything that we aren't at the minute from yeah. you know a few, a few of his comments there. But going on to uh, Jack Idell, I sort of I, I do wonder, was Anderton an improvement on him? Mm, I don't know. For me, Idol was starting to look okay. He started to mm. find a bit of fitness and form. And some Beach must have seen something in training and made him think, he's not going to work in the way I play. And he still used him as a sub occasionally, didn't he? But he mm. basically dropped him and brought Anderton in. He was a solid addition when he first came in. And I think he still has been fairly solid. But you look how well Idol's done for Cambridge. And, and he's played further forward for Cambridge in some games as well. You yeah. do wonder... Is he one that's maybe got a, got away? I mean, Dad, I know you, you you thought he was pretty decent for us, didn't you? Yeah, I, I thought he was. Uh, like you said, uh, as the season came on, he, uh, you know, he, he seemed to get better. Uh, he's. I'm just looking up his stats here as we talk, and you know, he's scored four goals in thirty appearances in the league, which is. Pretty good for the left back, you know. He's got I mean, some mm. bloody good long range goals as well. And that's one he's got two, two, two in 22 for us yeah. last season. You've got to remember when he came to us last season, he was stepping up from Scottish Championship, which is mm. which mm. is the level below us. I mean, mm. I watch a lot of Scottish football. It's uh, you, if you're ever bored for watching a game on a Friday night, BBC Scotland often show a championship game and. The level is Carlisle would be comfortable beating most of those teams. Yeah, and I know I thought he was starting to come into it, and I thought he probably deserved another season, to be quite honest. But uh, Anderton had came in and sort of taken the spot himself. But is he a massive improvement on him? I would say the jury's out, to be honest. No, I think I uh, sorry, Armour's got potential to be better than both of them, to be fair. So, mm, but look, I, I I also think he'll end up as a centre back because of his size, as I've said a couple of times. Mm. But Which, funny enough, the position that Anderton wants to play long term. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about Cambridge briefly. Then, I mean, what a season they're having, Dan. I mean, couldn't have seen that coming, could we? The starts. I know they beat us comfortably on the opening day, but even then there was a feeling of uh, we're a bit rusty and they've had a little bit of luck in this game, maybe. But the way they've played, and, and they're an example of a team that had a, a really sticky patch and they dropped down to 10 for one point in the middle of the season. And now they're up there and they've got a real good shot at finishing top three, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm just looking through the, you know, the beat Forest Green in the last game. That's mm. that's a good result. Yeah. Uh, they, they were uh, quite unlucky at Bolton. The, yeah. uh, 
they were, they were two nil down, but I think they certainly made a, a decent game. I mean, Bolton are absolutely flying at the moment, as yeah. we've said. But uh, you look you look through the the results. They took a bit of a tonking at Salford a few weeks ago, but as we know, Salford, uh, you know, which Salford turn up, isn't it? Yeah, God, mm. God knows half the time. Yeah, it's um, an interesting one. Uh, it feels kind of like they're in a little bit, slightly false position because they've played a game more, I think, than most teams. But it feels to me, if they can beat us at the weekend, then they put themselves in a really good position to, to really have a go for that top three place, don't they, Mike? Yeah, definitely. I've, I mean, for me, I, I kind of think that they're going up automatic. Um and it's a case of really who's going to join them. I know they're not top anymore, but um, yeah, I I really uh, can't see past them the, the way that they've been this season. And and the, the picking up points against the, the teams around them, like like you said in that Forest Green one, which is critical really. And I think they've, they've played most of the good teams now, probably twice. Yeah, I think that um, I'm feeling they have. But the, the, the thing for them as well is they're winning a lot of games. They're not drawing many. They, yeah, they'll, lo- they'll lose the odd one, but because they're winning so many, they're not dropping as many points. As they've got quite them. a decent running looking at their fixtures. They've got home games with Grimsby and Stevenage and away games to Orient and Harrogate, which will... Uh, that's not a bad running. Uh, and they've mm. got... They've still got a trip to Newport and Tranmere and they've got Exeter at home. So they've got teams that are just a little bit below them. But... Uh, yeah, and I mean, the, the big difference for them, isn't it, Wes Hulan? You've got to say. Yeah. A player that Roddy Collins did try to sign. I got, I got it wrong in that clip in that it was actually, um, I think he went to Livingston in the end, didn't he, instead of signing for us. Um, but Roddy did try to sign him when he, when yes, he was. Yes, I, I was introduced to Wes Hulahan and his dad after that famous Shelbourne friendly. Yeah. And his dad was saying, We'll be seeing you in Carlisle for a pint, lads. But, uh, Sadly, didn't work out that one because he would have been a hell of a signing, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Although we probably would have ruined him at that point, <laughs> the, way, the way things were going. But there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, even at thirty-eight, thirty-nine, he's such a quality player at this level, isn't he, Dan? Yeah, yeah, he's he's got the nous, and yes, he's getting on. But uh, you can't take his ability and nous away from him. And you know, he's your classic player who's far too good seeing out his days in a, in a decent team isn't he? I think mean, they've benefited from the fact that he lives in Norwich doesn't he? And yeah definitely. Does, does, didn't really want to commute to a club much further away so Cambridge was the ideal club I think for him to sign for. I mean the other player that they've signed last summer and has, has made a big impact Mike is Paul Mullen I mean without his goals they probably would be sort of mid-table wouldn't they? Yeah definitely he's been absolutely banging them in and you know, like the guy in the Cambridge um, podcast said, he scores all sorts of different goals and goals from outside the box is something that we've really been missing this season. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's let's move on to the, the, the Crawley game. I mean, they've just beaten a solid mid-table team this season, haven't they? They've, they've had a couple of, I think, they've twice been in the playoffs for like one game, I think. But bar that, they've they've not really worried either end of the table, have they, Dan? They they just they just get along with it and don't look like they're in danger of going down, but not really challenging for a playoff place. Yeah, uh, the cup run won't have helped. No, certainly not. And uh, there was a little bit of fuss when uh, c- celebrity, lightly used term <laughs> there, Mark Wright signed for them. He hasn't featured for them since his. Uh, 
atrocious first half <laughs> against Harrogate. But mm. uh, um, I'm just looking at what Ashley Nadison's done. He seems to come off the bench a bit. I started a few recently. He's had a couple of knocks, I think, hasn't he? This yeah, season, yeah. He's been out of the but team, but he's, he's 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 only scored four goals, but I think he's made made a few for them with his. Yeah. We know he'll run all day. You know, he's got a. He's like the road runner, isn't he? He's got yeah. a, a proper engine on him. Yeah, he's kind of play. Ironically, would do really well in this Cal United team, actually, in the way we play. I think in the, the amount of running he does. Um, yeah, I picked Nadison out as one of the danger men, but I think as well, Tom Nichols is a has always been a pretty decent player for them, hasn't he? And uh, Jay Keskov, I think he was at Southampton, wasn't he? Not long back, and he's a he's a decent prospect. I mean, their manager. I mean, we, we talk about the fact that. You know, Beach is always very positive after games, even when we play badly. Their manager, John Yems, not the same really, is he? He, he doesn't mince his words. <laughs> <laughs> if they play badly or he's not happy with a question, it's, it's he definitely you know. worth YouTube in some of his best comments. Mm. It, it, it's quite incredible, isn't it? I mean, I'd imagine they'd be pretty happy with their season, won't they? Because, I mean, they've not invested heavily in the squad in terms of signings, but they've never looked like they're going to be in threat of going down. And for them, they'll probably think, right, keep the bases of the squad together over the summer and improve on it and challenge for a playoff place next season. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Yeah, mm. I think that's the way you'd look at it. In terms of United, um, like we said in the first half of the show, got to be aiming for at least four points from these two games, even if Cambridge are doing so well this season. If we've got any realistic chance of making a fist of something this season, of a top-half finish, that's what we've got to aim for, isn't it? I I think most fans would expect us to lose against Cambridge mm. on mm, current form. You can get good odds on Cambridge winning though, can't you? We're, they we're were 5-2 to two at half eight last night. They're now 11-5, to five, so there's someone, a couple of folk have backed them. Mm. Uh, I think if we beat Crawley, you could maybe take a defeat off Cambridge in the current scenario. Yeah. Mm. But it'd be just like Carlisle to go and beat them, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be typical Carlisle to be came on yeah. the weekend and do it well as well. That would be just, just so annoying. And then but, lose against Crawley. But the yeah. thing is, we always say like, oh, we, you know, if we, if we lose against Cambridge but then beat Crawley, you'd probably say fair enough. But I'd say if we lose against Cambridge, the confidence is going to be so low. Yeah, I yeah. can't see us beating Crawley. And, I, and think, bear I, think, mind, I, I think if we put up a decent fight and got beat, there'd be a little bit of leeway. Yeah. We haven't lost in 14 games against Crawley as well. They put the kiss of death on it there, haven't I? Cheers, lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's guaranteed we're going to lose that one, now, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I just, I just, for me, I, I'm, I'm struggling to be positive about either game. If I'm honest, in terms of team news, it looks like Danny Devine could be involved because he obviously was involved in the reserve game. You'd certainly think place, he'd be on the bench on at the least, bench, wouldn't you? You'd hope, maybe. Um, Morgan Feedy and Jamie Armstrong still both out with their injuries. Coyote, either injured or international duty, isn't it? He's just not going to be involved, I don't think. And it looks like Dickinson will be out as well. So, yeah, just basically, I think the 18 we see is probably the 18 that's going to be picked for most of the rest of the season, isn't it? It's worth noting as well that Lewis Bell got a good few minutes in the reserve game, um, seemingly after he uh, has been missing. For yeah. a little bit. Although it's a different intensity, isn't it? And it's yeah. an easy way for him to ease back into football as well. And yeah. It comes to one of those ones, if we if we if we really drop it for the next few games, you'd think surely the likes of maybe Keelan Leslie and Sam Fishburne will get a chance on the bench for the last few games because why not? <laughs> yeah. That's the way you look at it, isn't it? Uh let's see some predictions then guys. Um 
Dan, go on first. You give us your predictions for both games. I will go for a hopeful 1-1 against Cambridge with... Uh, I don't care who scores, to be quite honest. <laughs> anyone. Anyone. Zanzala. And, yeah, give, give it to him because he's tried, hasn't he? And I'm going to go and hope we can nab a 1-0 win against Crawley just to settle the ship sort of thing. And that that goal can go to Dean Furman because I'm his fan. <laughs> okay, Mike. Uh, I'm gonna go for a three 0 defeat against Cambridge because I just can't, I can't see us getting anything from it. Yeah. Um, but I'll go for a one nil win against Crawley with Zanzala scoring. Who who will be manager in that game after Beach goes after the three 0 defeat? <laughs> Eric Kinder. <laughs> Uh, uh, Zanzala will be player manager um. <laughs> there you go okay I'll give you mine um, having a 3-1 defeat against Cambridge I think Jack Idol will get one of the goals um, I don't know if he'll do a Kevin Ellison in front of Chris Beach probably not because I think he's <laughs> no he doesn't come across as that type of lad does he not at all um, I think our goal will be Alessandra probably um, and the Crawley game one one, there's best we can hope for from that game. Um, goal from uh, um, Dean Furman. I agree with you, Dan. I'll get Dean Furman against Crawley. <laughs> so there you go. <sighs> Not, it's just, just depressing, isn't it? Really, just, you think <laughs> hard week, work, isn't it? Weeks ago, we were talking about five nil wins and things like that, and, <laughs> and now look, yeah. we're struggling <laughs> to even get excited about a draw. Um, all right, let's yeah. get on to the X-Files bit. Dan, we've got a few bits to get through. Not too many goals this time, but some other interesting tales. No, though, but some it? interesting tales. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all today, ex-manager Greg Abbott has left his coaching role at Notts County. Hey, because hey. Could, could he do a job for us? An experienced head. Someone saw my yeah, experienced head. Come and support him. They've, uh, they've dispensed with their manager today, and obviously Greg's being part of his coaching mm-hmm. setup has gone. So I know, I know he's not... I think he's... Not fondly liked by some fans. I'd, I'd never got understood that, but each to their own. Uh, court action. Court action. <laughs> this is a great one, this. ex Loney and former Man United and West Brom midfielder, come defender Ronnie Walwork, was out with his mates when someone slagged off his white trainers, so they filled him in. <laughs> and so he's going to win it. He's ended up with a suspended sentence. Uh He's no stranger to the courts while work. I've, I've spoke to people in Manchester and Jack the Lad is the phrase that comes to the fore. Is, he looked uh, a, he, he looked he, a great player. Was it a car clocking at a garage or something he was involved in at some point? Yeah, it's all, I think as well. Didn't he get attacked as well or something? Did he get stabbed? Yeah, he, he got stabbed, yeah. Yeah, mm. so he's... Uh, He's a bit of a, a Ravel Morrison type, isn't he? But I mean, he was a good player when he was on loan with us. He looked a oh, real he was fantastic. He was he, um, well. He only came here as bait for Janssen to go to Man United, didn't he? Well, weren't we potentially going to get him permanently if Janssen had gone to Man United? But it fell through no because of that. Far too good. No, you'd think so. Yeah. Wouldn't you? uh, goals, not too many. Uh, former loanee Tom Anderson scored for Doncaster. Uh, Jerry Yates got a double for Blackpool in their good win against Peterborough last night, three-one. And uh, there's talk of championship clubs after Yates Forest, in the press this Blackburn, morning. Forest, Blackburn, I think Bristol City possibly. Yeah. 
So he's uh, he's I think he's got about 14, 15 goals now in the league. He's a good player, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's he's doing really well. We and never doubted him. <laughs> going into the uh, national league for Bromley, unfortunately, it's not Byron Webster, but Jack Bridge uh, scored last night for Bromley. Mm. So and uh, a red card, uh, former Loney Hayden White got a red card for Walsall. I've not seen this, but I'm guessing it's nowhere near the level of his red card at Portsmouth. I mean that was that, that game. What a day out that game was. I mean that red card was one of the most brain dead red cards. He literally dived in two footed, about you know a yard away like, from the it referee. Was like, it was like a move your character would make on a, a game of Street Fighter. Yeah. It's like it's on. It's like on FIFA when you just get pissed off with someone because they're taking yeah. a piss and you just lunge in. It was my personal, my personal highlight from that game though was when Georgie Iliev, remember him, yeah. was clean through on goal, and then the Portsmouth players put their arms up and go offside, and then no flag went up, and then Iliev just picked the ball up. He was awful, wasn't he? I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what he's up to now. I think he disappeared off the. the he disappeared because I, I searched him out for the uh, the one game wonders stuff, didn't I? Mm. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah, not 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 the not one of the glory loan signings we've had down the no, years. No, certainly not. Yeah, but uh, that's pretty much it. Not many goals this week. Charlie White didn't score. I'm genuinely shocked by that. <laughs> I thought he did on the Saturday. Hang on. Oh, you haven't got him down here, Dan. Did I not? I'm maybe thinking of the week before. Maybe, no, he maybe. got booked. He got booked. booked. That was oh, it. Okay. There you go. So, blame me. Ah, it was uh, the midweek game last week where he scored. Oh, I'm thinking of. There you go. On the uh, the Wednesday night, the the played in the at Accrington. Yes, yes, he did indeed. Because they were involved in some pathetic attempt of a competition at Wembley on the Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, there you go. Uh, that's it, lads, lads. Thank you for joining me for what has been a hell of a slog. Um, we'll we'll have to get uh, looked into all the gremlins and stuff, won't we, for next week? We might we might give it a try on a different platform next week. Maybe see if we can get it to run a bit smoother, possibly. Um, and that's it, yeah. So uh, if you've got any comments or feedback, anything you'd like to suggest we discuss, please send them in as usual via Twitter to at Brunton Bugle or by email to bruntonbugle at gmail dot com. A lot of people did send something on Twitter about Chris Beach tonight, and I I do apologise for the fact we didn't really get through them, but it was because we've had big technical issues of recording cutting out tonight so we just basically just tried to get through to the end basically <laughs> so you've got something to listen to this weekend um if you haven't already as we said before please subscribe to the podcast you know via your whatever podcast app you use spotify acast apple podcast google podcast you can give us a review as well i've been looking through a few of them this week thank you very much a few five star ones on apple podcast always always welcomed um yeah, the, the feedback we get is excellent and it, it really does actually help us in terms of getting the message out to more fans about the podcast. Um, nowhere new on the world map, our listeners, guys. Just as we are, I think people are just losing interest, aren't they? Yeah. The season. <laughs> Not, nothing to get excited about, but there you go. Um, I think we'll be back probably similar time next week, won't we? Whether we'll be discussing, you know, a, a great recovery and hopefully a, a decent running for the rest of the season or we'll be talking about who the next manager is going to be we'll have to wait and see it's just one of those <laughs> ones we don't know what's going to happen do we um, thanks everyone for listening and uh, up the blues up the blues up the blues